coming up in this episode. No one, no one's going to do something for nothing. Um, and second of all, you need to try and create that value as quickly as possible for the user. Yeah. And I think they were probably two of the challenges which which we had with the first version. It's around it's around the individual and it's around flexibility. Um, yeah. And I think you know, in very simplistic terms, if they're getting the job done and they're happy to work from home, and there's kind of no real detriment to the business in terms of that happening, then I've got no. I'm not going to kind of prescribe to someone that they need to be in an office two, three days a week if, if that's not what they need to do. Well, I, I can tell you categorically that once you release on Android, I will be the first to download the product because I, I awesome. don't use an iPhone. But yeah, because 100, this is exactly the kind of thing I would need. I can remember in my early career, like I was in a rush to do everything. And I think, yeah. you know, in on reflection, you know, I wish I'd stayed at companies a bit longer. I wish I'd probably tried something a little bit different. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes you can be you can be a little bit too over eager to do something. And I think that's probably, you know, you can argue that with startups as well. Yeah. Right? It's like sometimes you can just be a little bit too quick to go to market or a little bit too quick with an idea. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hello, John. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. That is some background you've got going on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the first time ever today. I've I've recorded another episode today, and it's the first time ever I decided to play around with the backgrounds. You've li- we're literally at polar opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, literally yeah. all white. <laughs> it looks good. I normally just have the blurred background, so I figured I'd mix it up a bit. Because, if you know, yeah. you don't want to see, like, the kids' toys and stuff in the background. This this is a bit better. And I'm feeling yeah. like a mad scientist today, so I feel this is appropriate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I might get a green screen at some point. I don't know. But uh, anyway, how are you? You well? How's business? Yeah, good, good. Kind of just um, slowly recovering after um, the the intense heat that we've had here in London over over yeah. the last week or so. Um, yeah, it's kind of been really draining, to be fair. Mm. Um, but yeah, kind of, uh, I was praying to the rain gods, which I don't think I've ever done in my life before. But I was kind <laughs> of like, I just need, just needed to be a few degrees cooler just to kind of like start yeah. functioning properly again. But yeah, no, other than that, all good. The rain gods don't need much encouragement in this country, though, do they? Let's be honest. Like, they're pretty much poised and ready to do their thing at any moment. Um, yeah. Which is useful. Which is, which is why it was so strange to be, to, to kind of be feeling so desperate for it to rain, yeah. right? It's like, I've seen enough of it. Like, we've had a crappy weather, a crappy summer, really. So it's kind of yeah. like, actually, shouldn't be moaning too much. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when you're trying to work and concentrate and stuff, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? My yeah. son asked me recently, you know how kids just ask the most randomest questions. He, he asked me, like, what would you prefer, Daddy? And it's always this question, like two random extremes. Would you prefer to be really, really, really hot or really, really, really cold? And my answer is cold because you can put a blanket on and you can make a fire when it's hot hot, man there's nothing you can do about it like yeah yeah i i would probably go the other way actually like normally i'm yeah normally i i I must admit i do i do prefer heat over being cold but i do take your point like you know there's only um you only need some um clothing in order to get warm when it's cold right. as opposed to there's only so much you can strip off when it's warm right so yeah. well, there's no such sort of thing that's like the opposite of a fire you know what i mean no <laughs> no. <laughs> no yeah unfortunately well maybe a fan but i suppose yeah not not quite the same 
but um, yeah, maybe that's something someone to invent. But anyway, it's great to have you on. As you know, as we've already started recording, we just go straight into it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like I always explain to everyone, there's not much structure to this show, but there is one part, and that is right at the beginning, which is that I, uh, if you might, don't mind indulging me, just ask um, ask you to introduce yourself and your business, and yeah, just to mm -hmm. kick us off and tell us about yeah. yourself. Yeah, perfect. So uh, John Chapman, founder, CEO of DigiHome. Uh, so DigiHome is a uh, very early stage consumer app that inspires households to better manage and protect the home all in one place. Um, so in terms of kind of my career background, um, for my sins, I started in insurance. Um, I was a uh, I was on the Alliance Cornhill. Uh, I'm showing my age now because uh, it was Cornhill um, uh, graduate scheme, underwriting graduate scheme, and um, was on that for uh, it lasted about a year. And then um, I was uh, I was based in a lovely part of the world, Woking. Um, uh, and just a, a, I suppose as a quick story, uh, I moved to London with my best friend. Uh, we had a place in Fulham. Um, and I was probably the only person going on the opposite direction of the tube. So every morning I got the district line to Wimbledon and then Wimbledon got the train down to Woking. And I was the only guy on the other side of the platform going away from central London, um, <laughs> but still paying exorbitant rental just to live in Fulham. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so did that, moved into London um, about a year later and then spent just shy of uh 10 years in insurance um underwriting property casualty risk um across and this was commercial um mm. across uk europe um in a couple of the roles that i had we did some global stuff we did some reinsurance stuff so um that was all um kind of interesting but i i hit my must have been around 30 near enough on the nail um and kind of looked around and, and didn't really feel as though I was I was inspired enough for that to be my career for the next 30 years and, and kind of felt like I was in a bit of a place with my career where it was like it was easy and I never mm. really enjoy that kind of feeling of, of just kind of just coasting so um decided that um I'd try something different um and kind of jumped out of insurance and jumped into the world of startup um got introduced uh to uh, a founder at the time um through a mutual friend who was who was pre-launch but um just about to, to to launch his startup uh we started talking had some you know mutually um kind of worked together quite well and and kind of i helped him initially uh, just doing bits and pieces and then that kind of evolved into into kind of a full-time role and that was um a business called Fixflow, which was a repairs and maintenance software solution, um, which we sold into estate agents and property managers and um, a few other spaces. Um, so I was there for five and a half years, um, worked uh, with two co-founders, um, and we grew that business, um, I think, quite substantially when you kind of compare it in terms of the prop tech space, and maybe I'll mm. touch on that in a bit more detail um, when we chat. But yeah, we kind of grew that. And then again, I suppose, uh, not necessarily got itchy feet, but again, kind of looking for that next challenge. And and I suppose that's a common theme in terms of my career is always kind of looking for a challenge. Mm. Um, and moved to another startup, slightly different stage called Just Move In, which is a, um, a home move setup service. So it kind of takes away the, the admin 
element of moving house. Um, and moved there, I suppose, I'm trying to remember when COVID was now. I think we all kind of forget or tried to forget. Um, 21. So I moved there yeah. in 20, I moved there in 20 and then obviously 21 came around and it was kind of a really different situation. And I mean, that was, it, it was, it was, it had a lot of challenges to it because again, you know, I think most of us had never been in that situation before and, and kind of as a growing business, it has its own challenges and then you kind of layer that on top and it becomes even more challenging, but equally it was, it was, it was, again, it was a, uh, an interesting time. Um, mm. but it also like with most people, you kind of, it gave us all an opportunity to reflect and, and kind of consider what, what was important, what those next moves were. And, uh, I suppose that was really the catalyst for me to go. I've always wanted to do my own thing. I think that's, that's, that's been fairly evident since I was, um, in my teenage years really. Mm. Um, but never necessarily had the, the idea and kind of that, um, confidence to be able to go out and do it on my own. Yeah. Um, but um, that kind of came about um, and started DigiHome really start of uh, 22, I suppose. Yeah. So um, and yeah, kind of been been on that journey and um, I can probably go into a lot more detail in terms of the last 18 months or so and some of the things that we've been through. Um, yeah, of course. What, what the was your, yeah. And thanks for that. And, and what was your... Um, what was your position as, as co-founder? What, what was your, your main sort of area of responsibility in these previous startups? Or so, areas of responsibility, presumably more than one, yeah. right? This is usually the uh, case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so actually with, with Fixflow, I wasn't a co-founder. So the two co-founders there, oh, right. uh, Dun Duncan and Raj, um, I was essentially kind of number one employee, but for, right. for really the first year, it was just the three of us. And mm. um we for the first six months we were working in the basement of uh, of an estate agent who Raj knew in a uh, a single breeze block um, basement with literally no heating, oh, uh, and we were literally all sat there with like heaters in between our legs during the day and drinking copious amounts of coffee just to stay warm and stay awake. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was kind of you know that's that's kind of the the, the really nice raw element of startup. that's why we it's do it, of, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it was like it was a it was a beautiful kind of first experience into startup, really, mm. as opposed to. You know, you can see some these days that are so well financed. They sort of like jump straight into like nicely plush air, air yeah. conditioned offices. But actually, they you know, shouldn't be doing, <laughs> doing it the other way is so much more fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my roles there were essentially like sales and marketing. Um, but as you can kind of expect, when there's a three of you, you kind of just all muck in and do your own yeah. thing. So it was, um, yeah, the predominantly driving the sales. Um, and for me, it was it, again, it was a totally new experience. I whilst I suppose insurance for anyone that kind of doesn't really have much context in terms of insurance or the or the insurance market um you've essentially got brokers and underwriters and brokers are kind of the client facing um biz dev element and then you've kind of got your underwriter who underwrites the risk um now I suppose within that kind of underwriter role there's what's known as kind of new biz development underwriters who I suppose are a little bit more um commercially minded i suppose is, is one way of explaining it but but mm. do a lot more new business than, than existing business and renewals uh, and that was kind of my role so i did i did kind of have some sales experience but not necessarily kind of the the go out into into the big wide world and and sell hard 
Um, because invariably with brokers, you kind of always knew that there was business coming to you. What you really wanted to do is make sure that you were getting the right business to you that you you, you, got, you could underwrite and underwrite competitively. Um, so, yeah, so, so kind of going into sales role and going into a, a space that I really didn't know that much about. I mean, um, I was a homeowner. Okay, great. Yeah. But it was kind of the rental space that we were focused on. I'd rented, right. but probably 10 years before that. So again, not necessarily um, my domain. But um, yeah, it was great. I, I absolutely loved kind of engrossing myself in, in the space. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that really set us out um, was actually just how hard we worked to, to get to understand the problems of customers and to kind of position ourselves within the space as thought leaders. Um, mm. I mean, Raj, who was the who was one of the co-founders and, and CEO, his background was uh, law, uh, property law. Uh, and again, I suppose when when it come when it came to it and we started to look at some of the regulatory changes that were happening within the space, that was obviously great because he, he had an, a, a knowledge and an experience there. But yeah, we re- we you know we worked really hard. We did um, I think we did about 110 events in one year um, Oof, up and down wow. the country, um, which kind of just gives a bit of a uh, bit of insight into just how many kind of, of these events. And I mean, these range from kind of 10 people to hmm. 100 people com- or hundreds of people in a conference. Um, but each one of those conversations was valuable to us in terms of like hmm. trying to understand what those pain points were, how we position it, how do we kind of evolve the product. Mm. Um, and slowly but surely we started to eke away and we weirdly we found um, York as our um, as kind of our first really growth city um, which was kind of strange Um, uh, you think think of all of the places where you're likely to start seeing some traction and York doesn't necessarily jump to the top of the list but it was and we kind of then just used that as our uh, as Jeffrey Moore would put it, kind of our little beachheads, and we started to work from there, and kind of mm. went to Leeds and Manchester, and then kind of London and, and all of the other places. Um, but yeah, slowly but surely grew, and over the kind of time that I was there, we we grew it to about eighteen percent of market, um, which wow. in, in kind of a state agency, and again just to give um listeners context there's a real long tail to a state agency so mm. you've got your really big 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 guys like your your countrywide your connells um leaders romans and i'm sure i've forgotten a few but um just they're, they're kind of names that most people will be synonymous with but um and then we've got a really long tail of very small independents who you know you don't necessarily uh, come up uh, in the first few pages of a google search and you've really mm. got to work hard to find the people so it was. I think it was. It was really impressive in terms of just our, our growth over a period of time, um, and and like I said, I think over over those sort of five five and a half years, it was a case of actually people when they started to talk about how you report your repairs or how your tenants report repairs, it was kind of like fixed flow was was almost like the word that people would say, and that was great. I mean, it was great. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and we didn't really have too much in the way of competition, so. Yeah, it was, it was a great time and, and mm. really enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, you know, kind of just move in was a slightly different stage when I joined. So they'd just done a funding round. I think there were about 10 employees at the time. Um, and really looking to kind of scale and ramp up that business. Um, and the, 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 I think some of the nice things about that business was uh, obviously um, 
Tom uh, is one of the co-founders. Ross is the other one. Um, they're a B Corp. Uh, I think they were kind of the first property B Corp. And and again, it was nice. They were based down in Bournemouth. Mm. Um, and it was, a, it was a very different kind of atmosphere in, and um, environment within the office and mm. uh, a different proposition as well. A lot more people were doing that kind of thing, but in a very different way to how Just Move In were doing it. Right. Um, and it was good. You know, we, we kind of, um, uh, we grew the business. We, we grew headcount quite significantly. So I think um, pre-COVID hit, we were kind of up to the 50 mark, if not a little bit more. So kind of over the course mm. of the year, we grew 400% in terms of headcount. Um, and then obviously COVID hit and we all have our, we, we had a load of challenges around that. Um, mm. We're fortunate, I suppose, in, in a lot of ways compared to a lot of other sectors that property was kind of left um, to stay open and that, that helped us. Um, but kind of the challenges of, of, of running a team remotely, um, uh, we had a young team. So, you know, there was some real challenges there in terms of their environments, um, which, again, kind of we really had to manage. And I think, again, the kind of the the, the, the founders there, and the leadership team, we really kind of focused on how do we kind of make this, uh, make the best of that bad situation. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that that kind of uh, led me to start thinking about what I want to do on my own. Um, I had a few ideas, um, had a few conversations with different people. Um was originally kind of going to go down one route and then um, had a conversation and kind of decided that maybe it wasn't the best route to go down. So kind of navigated my way over maybe six months of, yeah, I want to I want to do something on my own and I've got a kind of idea, but I wasn't necessarily set on that idea. Mm. Um, and yeah, I suppose by the end of six months, a lot more concrete around that idea, or at least um, in my head without really much more beyond um, that that initial idea. So yeah, that kind of brought me into 22 and, and starting DigiHome. Mm. And what was the idea before? We'll get into what it is now in a second. But like, what was what was that like? That process of you know having an idea and sort of going through it. What was it that people were saying? What you know? How were you going? Was this like something you were actively seeking for people to rip apart with friends and family? And and that's why was it just happenstance that as you were sort of thinking about it and researching it that you you arrived eventually on what it is now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. And then I'm sure like other founders will have kind of different journeys and different mm. ways that they've done yeah, this. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, with, with some founders that I speak to, it's kind of like they work in the same sector. They saw a very specific thing and they were like, right. yes, we can absolutely do that. Um, I suppose there was an element of that in my initial idea. So um, I suppose as part of being engrossed in in property tech and and the property market for a number of years i was very aware of kind of the the challenges with the home buying process and that was kind of my um initial area of focus if you can call it that mm. i think that the, the one thing that i was i was kind of conscious of uh was not kind of getting too pigeonholed on an idea at that stage and also not trying to force it because i, I was kind of I was keen to do my own thing. And I think sometimes you can kind of be a bit blinkered or, or maybe mm. a bit blind to, to actually, is it a good idea or not, just yeah. based on the fact that you want to do it, right? So, um, so yeah, the initial idea was focused on kind of home buying and, and trying to solve that. And I mean, obviously, there are lots of people that are trying to solve that. 
um, and have done for a long period of time and in, in different ways. Um, I suppose from reflection was mine any different to some of those? Maybe, maybe not. And and I think it was kind of really working through actually, okay, so there's a problem here. How do you solve it? And I think really what happened over the course of a few months was actually I realized it was really, really, really difficult to to actually solve. And could it be solved in kind of the 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 the, the time frame that I was looking for? Maybe not. Um, mm. And and I suppose to some extent I've maybe been proved a little bit right by the fact that actually not a lot's changed in the last kind of two or three years around mm. the home buying process. Because speaking to people, there's so many different stakeholders as part of that process that it just became, it's not necessarily kind of a tech solution that's going to solve it. It's going to be lots of different factors and yeah, elements. So it's, it's, it's almost like an infrastructure problem, basically, where <clears> it's <throat> operational across multiple stakeholders. So you, you wouldn't just be, it's not the kind of case you could just bring a solution, you need to affect change in lots of different industries and lots of different operations, right? Presumably. Ab absolutely. And I think the the kind of the, the takeaway that I had from working with estate agents and, and kind of those property professionals was things don't move quickly and, yeah. <laughs> um, they all they all have their own agendas and it's, mm. and and you know that's that's not i'm not saying that that's a bad thing but it does make compromise hard and it does mm. make getting those solutions hard and and invariably kind of the change that's happened in property has been because of regulation and mm. in some respects it's not that much different to to fit to financial services in a lot of ways is kind of the regulatory element is always kind of the catalyst for, for the change mm. um but yeah it was uh, i think in terms of just that, that that process it was very relaxed um i didn't set myself kind of a time frame on it um but i suppose i wanted to get myself to a point that i was comfortable enough to say right um let's leave kind of the uh, the comfort of the day job behind let, and let's kind and, and to the to, to some of the points that I made earlier in terms of that challenge and being ready for the kind of that next challenge like mm. have that kind of conviction and that confidence that yeah you know you can do something here it might not end up as quite that idea and I think that's um, that's probably a, a nice segue into the next step but it's kind of you know at least you've kind of got a good starting point that you're confident enough to, to kind of move forward on. Yeah and before I ask the next question I just want to uh sort of uh show my solidarity with this idea of always wanting the next challenge i think i can definitely uh relate to that like that's uh, i think that's a common thread with with founders and entrepreneurs as a whole it's just uh you know we don't like comfort too much <laughs> after no. a while like you know when things become easy it's like no oh, man like give me something else <laughs> so, yeah. yeah i know i know a lot of um serial founders let's say who as soon as they scale a company or you know get it to a certain point of success they just start twiddling their thumbs and they're like i'm out give me the next thing <laughs> you know? yeah so, yeah. And I, I and I would definitely say that you know just in terms of reflecting as as I I, I do a lot um, like those early days of fixed flow mm. were you know I loved them I yeah. I loved the gr I loved that sort of real raw grind trying trying to work your way through it mm. uh, and to some respects when it became kind of the the established business that it was it became slightly less attractive and maybe mm. a small element of that motivation went from yeah. kind of the day-to-day -day, right but um 
yeah, I, I, I think, you know, life, life is way too short to kind of just be sitting on your, your hands and just letting life go by. Like totally, totally. it's, it, 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 there's more to life, right? I have a theory on that as well. I, I think it comes down, there are certain people and I think, you know, certain people are more inclined to this than others, but I think there are certain people that, um, that are attracted to just, uh, feeling, feeling useful. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, if, in, unless you're being asked to solve a lot of problems, sometimes you can just feel like you're not useful. So as soon as, as soon as there's a team in place that's tackling all the fires for you and, you know, everything is running relatively well, suddenly you don't feel as useful. And, and so you want to go where you are. And if that means artificially creating a new scenario whereby <laughs> there's lots of problems, then so be it. Right? <laughs> Some people yeah. do that by creating drama. Some people do that by creating a business. And I, I, I would recommend the latter. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's a really interesting insight because I think that I, I definitely reflect in terms of like my personal life, how yeah. I take a very different role, right? Which is the the role of, I, you know, again, we're in the, not to feel kind of um, uh, have an archaic view of this, but I always like to think of myself as kind of the protector of my family and right, the provider right. and yeah. um, not to say that my wife isn't hugely successful and of course, um, of course. Um, uh, an inspiration to me, but I do, you know, I do like that role of kind of having you know, to make sure that, you know, things are there and that people are looked after and, you know, it's, it's that, do you prefer giving a present or do you prefer receiving it? It's like, it's always, always giving. Like, always giving, yeah. Um, you know, and 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 for me, uh, you know, the reason that I the reason that I, I do Digi Home or, or the reason that I kind of want to run my own business and, and have a successful business at that is, is to kind of give myself get myself into a position where I can actually just dedicate myself to doing stuff for other people. Like yeah. that is that is kind of my my end goal is retire and just help people. That's mm. that's what I've kind of have as my as my vision of life is just you know be able to do those things that you know you don't have to worry about the the monetary side of things anymore you can just help people for the sake of helping people and i think that's um yeah hopefully i'll get there one day that's a great uh, that's a great goal to have and yeah i, I agree with you I, I see myself in the same way and that's mm -hmm. i think maybe why maybe why when people don't have purpose um outside of their home then that they're looking to try and create problems at home to solve, right? So mm, it's like, yeah. you need, but but as I think it's a definitely a, a, and I don't know for certain, but from what I my limited understanding of biology, it's definitely men are seem to be more inclined to problem solving uh, than women, and so it seems to be a trait that we're most attracted to, um, you know, solving complex problems. But, uh, well, but yeah. I think my wife would probably disagree with you. She loves. Well, yeah, that. and like I said, I mean, I think that's a that's a generality yeah. thing. But but uh, but uh, yeah, and you, you're probably right. I'm probably very wrong in that. But it's just well, right. from what I've heard in, in biological yeah. literature, that's apparently the case. But uh, but anyway, uh, aside from that, then let's let's talk about um, Digi Home. What does it do? Yeah. <laughs> so it's if 20, I, if I, 26 minutes in what does digi home do yeah yeah we'll get, there, we'll get there in the end yeah yeah one minute one minute and 59 what does it do okay um so i suppose if i if i take a step back so um started digi home with the the kind of view of um being able to solve the folder of doom in everyone's home so um just to kind of uh, explain that a little bit more we all have our ways of storing and and um well, not storing as the case may be but all of our household documents whether it's kind of bills uh, your mortgage statements whatever else and and we started off on a on a journey to solve that 
Mm. Um, because, you know, we'd spoken to, I spoke to a lot of people and it's kind of one of those points that everyone resonates with, right? It's mm. like, how do you store your stuff? Oh yeah, I've got the four lever arch folders and basically something comes through the post and I just stick it in there and it's kind of poorly managed and ultimately what what that doesn't enable the the homeowner or the household to do is kind of use the information and the data on there to better inform how they run their home like mm. you know i mean uh, we're all kind of familiar with um the the additional cost of auto renewing or not knowing what subscriptions you've got in your household um i mean i can be guilty of that my wife and i realized we had we both had prime um subscriptions not that long ago and it's kind of like hugely frustrating to kind of think that you're uh, that disorganized that you didn't realize that or <laughs> yeah. clearly, clearly we don't speak enough um, that's a good point i need to ask if my wife's got yeah. Um, but it's you know so so we, we we went out on a mission to kind of solve that and again like i say that the, the feedback was yeah it's a problem that people resonated with and and to some extent people wanted to solve um so we we kind of built a um wireframe prototype we kind of did some early user testing and then we started to build the product now um we've made lots of mistakes on our way to, to this specific point as mm. you know most founders will probably um admit to uh and some would kind of reflect and go i definitely shouldn't have made them but you know you kind of learn learn from these things but we were also having some really interesting conversations with some very big companies and i think you know one of the learnings that i would definitely take from kind of the last 18 months is is not to get too distracted by them because um mm. you know those whilst you can get very excited about wow we're having these conversations and we're a startup i mean at this stage we were kind of pre pre-product um pre-investment like we were we were nothing really opposed from an idea and, and kind of some wireframes um but to be having kind the the kind of conversations that we're having with like big insurance companies and and others that were that we're kind of looking at the proposition as a way of how do we engage better with our customers and how do we kind of add value into into their everyday lives um and and to some extent we got distracted by those i think we we started to build a product that was too cumbersome had too much in it um we built across um multiple platforms ios and android so like lots of kind of i suppose uh fun not fundamental mistakes because i think we made all of the right decision or we made the decisions for the right reasons and mm. you know i suppose it's kind of that difference between sometimes knowledge and wisdom as to which ones you do mm. and which ones you don't um so we were having these conversations which were all like super exciting and we're kind of going oh my god like you know and we were getting introduced to others and we're like wow this is really like this has huge potential right and, um and uh so we we got to um october october of last year we still hadn't launched the products like uh and i suppose just again just to um add we um we used an, a, a dev agency or an outsourced dev uh function for, for what we did and and again to take lots of learnings away from that um but it wasn't working particularly well in terms of the in terms of the relationship in terms of our product development it just we were we were kind of really finding ourselves uh struggling to to get an mvp out and i kind mm. of you know that was that was the 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 real key goal was to get it out there learn 
uh, and to iterate and evolve the proposition. Um, but every single month we thought we were going to get something out, something happens next month and it, on and on and on. Um, we managed to launch the MVP in November of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I suppose within kind of not necessarily the best time to, to kind of launch an MVP, which is coming into the Christmas period and, you know, especially mm-hmm. when it kind of comes to um, home admin. But nevertheless, we kind of started to get some users, started to get some feedback and some data. Um, and I suppose over the court, when, when Christmas came around, we had some analytics that we could start to um, explore and understand a bit better in terms of what was working, what wasn't working. And I think it was clear that there were some elements of the app that were working that, that people were interested in. And that kind of um, coupled with with some of our social activity and other bits and pieces was was kind of reaffirmed that. And mm-hmm. then there were other elements that just weren't. They were kind of semi-redundant um uh, and i really took like christmas and and new year to 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 reflect in terms of right what are we doing here like are we solving the right problem are we solving it in the right way can we solve it in the right way and kind of asking all of the questions that you know i suppose you um in some respects you kind of ask at the start but you you also have to keep on asking yourself as you go through this whole process Mm. um and I think the answer, like the the answer to that question, was no, probably not, um, based on what we'd seen from like early user um, engagement and feedback. Um, but equally, it gave us some insight as to actually maybe the problem, like what the problem was that we should be solving. And right. it wasn't that, and it wasn't that far away from where we were. But equally, it kind of meant that we had to refocus. Um, and and essentially pivot a little bit um so kind of made the decision at the end of january that's what we were going to do um in this current you know in current investment landscape that we fight an environment that we find ourselves in it's you know it's it's hard you the the kind of benchmark for any kind of raise at the moment is a lot higher than it was two three years ago Mm. um so we kind of had to make that real that that decision as to right we either kind of call it a day and we kind of let we made the wrong like we, we we didn't make the right decision we didn't make the right product whatever however you want to look at it or actually we refocus we pivot we kind of then really focus our attention in terms of what it is that we're doing um moving forward um and what does that product look like like how do we how do we with a kind of limited runway limited capital um a dev team that isn't working well for us right now change that mm. um so we got rid of the dev team um we looked at the product and kind of spent probably another couple of months really trying to figure out what that looked like what the scope was how we could kind of um amend what we'd done so not throw away everything that we'd done because i think that would have been um that would have probably been a stretch too far but like how do we kind of use what we've done in a slightly different way um and yeah so we kind of the last four or five months been on that journey of um scoping scoping the new app going through the process of um getting it built or getting the changes made um and we're I'd say probably a couple of weeks away from from hopefully being in that position where we 
I suppose relaunch is, is the best way of putting mm. it. And we, we kind of go out um, again. So that's kind of the journey. Uh, and I probably haven't really answered the question, which is what it is. Um, <laughs> so, so essentially what it is, is um, the problem that we're solving is that as a homeowner or as a household, you're not taught how to run manage a home effectively it's, it's mm. one of those things that um we all aspire to be homeowners or or to kind of have our own place but unless you've kind of got that um sage um of wisdom whether it's your parents that kind of pass down all of that information that's few and far between you're kind of left pretty clueless as to actually what i should be doing mm. um and 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 ultimately you know, if you're not do, if you're not organised around it, you're probably going to be making mistakes and costing yourself money. And I think the other way to look at it is with the cost of living crisis that we've that we're, we're still very much kind of experiencing. I, I reflected on it, and it's like in days gone by, when we were looking to save money within our household, we'd look at like how you'd save on your services. You know, you'd switch your energy provider from one to another and get a cheaper deal. You'd do the same with your broadband and your insurance and everything else. But the reality of it is, is that kind of um, uh, activity is now gone, right? Like we couldn't switch mm. our energy. We still can't really. I mean, there's there's some ways, but it's you, you can fix it, but it's not necessarily going to be cheaper for you in the, in the long run. Uh, insurance prices are going up, like broadband prices are going up. So it's like, how do you as a homeowner get better control of your costs and i think definitely over the last couple of years for me personally it's kind of like especially with that that kind of um uh lack of financial income that we that, that i've been used to over years it's like that unexpected cost that that small issue that turns into a big problem plays on your mind so much more mm. um and i was kind of like this you know I, you know, you, there are things that you can be doing to protect yourself and to prevent these things from happening. But unless you know about them and, and kind of are aware of the context around them, and I think that's a really important part, kind of that education of like, yeah, do this, but the, here's the reasons why. It's not just a case of so, someone telling to you, do it. It's mm. like, you know, it's the fact of do it and, you know, this will extend it by X or reduce the chances of it breaking down by Y. Um, so it, th th I think there was a real opportunity there to, to kind of help homeowners, uh, predominantly kind of younger homeowners. So that those first time homeowners or potentially slightly inexperienced, but I mean, you know, looking back at having been a homeowner myself now for kind of 16, 17 years, it's, I'm still learning and I'm still making mistakes and I'd still, I, you know, I kind of look back and go, God, I wish I'd had this like in the, what 15 years ago yeah um because there are just there, there is just so much complexity to it and we're not kind of talking about like really granular stuff it's kind of basic stuff it's like how do you look after and maintain your appliances what are the kind of checks that you should be kind of doing on your home how are the you know when are your 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 kind of key utility services meter readings insurances you know how do you kind of prevent the risk that that cost you money essentially mm. um so what the app does is it essentially takes some very basic information about your property and it creates like a preventative maintenance plan for your home um, and then you can kind of personalize that even further it will offer you suggestions around um you know what you can what you can add to your to-do list 
Um, and so it gives you the, then the mechanism of, of how you manage that. Um, so it tells you, I suppose to break it down, tells you what you need to do, when you need to do it. It offers you help around how to do it if you're kind of unclear around that. Um, and we've also just started to um, explore do it for me. So kind of, I don't want to do it, but surely you know someone that can. So kind of that, mm. that ecosystem of trusted services, really. Um, and, and I suppose just to, to add to a couple of other elements, which is when it comes to running a home, it's essentially for the vast majority of households, and this kind of comes from conversations with, with homeowners, is it's, it's a fairly siloed um, responsibility. So more often than not, one person within that household takes a, either sole responsibility or does the majority of things. And, uh, and, and again, invariably, that falls on the female if it's kind of a, uh, a family household. Um, and that kind of mental load, uh, mental well-being is really like, again, I think something that over the last few years has become a lot more, um, uh, people have become a lot more aware of kind of the impact of having to try and remember all of these things mm. and, you know thinking of when was the last time I did that did I when when do I need to do that it's kind of trying to get all of that out of your head onto an app that kind of helps you manage that and and mm. by managing that you're doing it better you're saving money um you're saving stress um and also kind of an underlying element is also you're saving the planet because again if we can kind of extend the lifetime of appliances if we can get you um you know, if we can help you save on your energy consumptions, you know, all of those things, bearing in mind that households, you know, are, are kind of a massive contributor to, to carbon emissions, about 20% mm. um, of all carbon emissions in the UK. And then actually appliances is a pretty big chunk as well, um, or manufacture of them. Then, then you know, kind of there's, a, there's another benefit there, but we kind of, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of, um, and again, not to kind of cast wild dispersions but it's a little greenwashing that goes on and kind of oh, yeah. we don't see that we don't see that as kind of the the primary objective of the app it's kind of a uh, i suppose a a nice nice to have um, like a side effect almost yeah. exactly yeah exactly. yeah but it's interesting you because of as soon as you started explaining the products i remember when we first spoke you something came to mind which you just touched on there which is the well-being element of it which i think is you know, not to be sniffed at or, or uh, underappreciated for the reasons you mentioned. Like it, it is, it's like running a business, running a household, right? I mean, there's there's many aspects to it, and it's something that isn't really talked about a huge amount. It sort of bubbles up in stress levels, it bubbles up in anxiety, and so on. But there's very much an expectation, and in maybe rightly or wrongly, that as an adult, well, that's just being an adult, just deal with it, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> um, but 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 like you pointed out, if you go to a job, you're taught how to do the job. Um, you're not really yeah. taught how to do this. So you drips and drabs, maybe. Like I was taught how to cook and clean by my mum, and you know, you're given little elements of it, but no mm -hmm. one's really giving you the full picture. Like this is how to do it all, you know, coherently and in a way that that isn't stressful. And whereas as a leader, you're generally taught how to manage things as a whole, you know, in a way that is constructive and ideally in a less stressful way, right? Exactly. So you think of kind of as a, from the business perspective, just how many different like tech solutions there are out there, right? To help right. you organize your day and, you know, from from Zoom through to, you know, Monday through to 
Miro through to mm. Trello, whatever well, it is. That's plenty. Whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's plenty, right? Yeah. I, mean, um, I, I my, my company is a B2B SaaS company, so I'm just as guilty of adding to the noise there. <laughs> yeah. Just one more to the tech stack. It's one fine. more, yeah, yeah. Um, it's all right. It's integrated, so it's fine. It but works. that's it. And you can make a budget <laughs> for it, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like there, 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 there definitely was something missing when, when we were speaking to people, whether people were kind of like <clears throat> bastardizing an existing kind of, you know, whether it was a an Excel spreadsheet or like a mm. to-do app, but it wasn't very specific and it didn't kind of proactively help somebody in terms of actually doing the things and, and, and giving right. them kind of the context around it. Because I think, you know, it's one thing to kind of tell someone to do something. It's even better if you're kind of educating them as to the reason why. And, you know, mm. ultimately that's kind of, this is... Where DigiHome is right now is kind of just the first step. Our, our ultimate vision for this, and uh, we've kind of looked at this a, uh, a slightly different way to a lot of um, a lot of people before. Is kind of we want to make this into a home insurance product. So, if you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe, like, and share your thoughts in the comments. So the idea being is that in the same way as you've got Vitality and U Life, the life insurance, which essentially provide you with a mechanism to live better and and ultimately Mm. then reward you for that through your insurance we see this in exactly the same way for the home um and and almost like giving a score almost as to how efficiently you're able to manage a home and 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 the sort of associate risk with that is is yeah yeah and i I think it's really important the risk element so um Mm. i suppose putting my um insurance hat back on yeah i can um, see i can see that that was slowly coming on yeah yeah i mean (laughs) the weird thing is is this kind of is just an amalgamation of my last 20 years of my career in some Mm. weird bastardized way um but if you look at and it has to be about the risk because i think again it's very easy to kind of gamify these things without there kind of necessarily being a benefit to them. Mm. Um, so I think when it comes to how you manage and protect the home, there's kind of an underlying element, which is risk. Um, and actually, if you kind of look at uh, home insurance claims, and again, there's, uh, I can talk for hours about this, but about 51% of home insurance claims can be prevented. Now, that's not to say that you are going to be preventing 51% of claims and I definitely wouldn't go out on a limb and say that um, using DigiHome will do that but there are certain things within there that you can start to to mitigate risk and start to offer greater protection around a potential loss. So things Um, like maintaining appliances correctly, ensuring you know the property in general is well kept, things like because presumably a lot of claims come from malfunction of of appliances and and things like that right yeah so the so the biggest kind of um i'm trying to think of the best word here but the the, kind of the biggest cause of that of of claims is water damage so that can be any so that can be anything from you know someone forgetting to turn off the bath okay how do you prevent that very difficult unless you've kind of got uh you know leak detection or something which yeah. again, I, I don't even know whether that would actually work in on reflection but or um you know simple things like knowing where your stopcock is and checking that you can turn it off is kind of uh, uh, a way of mitigating a loss mm-hmm. um through to yes as you say like maintaining your appliances and uh you know dishwashers washing machines all of these things clearly have um uh, a risk associated to them 
um, making sure that you're kind of turning off your your water when you go away on holiday, um, clearing your gutters so that again there's less chance after heavy rainfall that you're you're likely to get a blocked drain or uh, damp or ingress uh, water ingress. So there's lots of different things that kind of don't. There's no silver bullet. But mm. there's lots of things that you can do from an insurance perspective that that kind of work towards reducing the risk of that. And equally, you've got to argue that actually there's a there's a there's a behavioural element here as well, which is mm. if somebody is maintaining and looking after their home. Um, and again, I know that I don't have any specific research to kind of um, argue this one way or the other. But does that make them a better moral risk and less likely to to you know fraudulently claim um you know that's that's kind of slightly aside but the point being is you know coming back to the kind of the home and the property and the 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 physical element there then there's definitely stuff that that kind of from an insurance perspective feeds into that as well as kind of the more general like you know cleaning care of things that that you can do that both kind of improve those to an extent but also from a well-being perspective and other elements also come into play mm. so like at the at this point in time so that's the long the long play but at this point in time it's something of like a digital or will be like a digital assistant uh, to some degree to help you with reminding you when when these things are due to be done and, and i assume maybe like store the documents maybe scans of documents things like that is that right so you're still keeping that element of the filing cabinet side of things associated with it as well exactly that greg so i think the um I suppose rather than assistant, I kind of see it as more of a companion kind right, of relationship, okay. right? Which is which is kind of um, someone there to help help um, you grow and develop as kind of a homeowner. Yeah. Um, and I think that I suppose whilst that's kind of the, the 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 big vision, and and again we've kind of looked at the space, and there have been, uh, you know, we're not the first people to think about this, and in fact. When you talk, you know, you talk to people about home insurance, preventative insurance and preventing risk is always being discussed. Mm. Um, and there have been propositions around this, but invariably what's happened is that they've built an insurance product and then tried to do something off the back of it. Right. We're, we're essentially trying to reverse engineer that because I think the, the important thing here is to get the user, the household engaged in the activity of managing the home it's got to actually be useful as a product first and integrated into someone's life create that lock-in effect before yeah before you and, can ever make any you know data uh, extraction from that right exactly because then i think the, the the kind of you know what you hope over a period of time is people become um more knowledgeable they understand these things it becomes habit um but then kind of the insurance is there as kind of the thing that underpins all of that and, and keeps that kind of um, customer lifetime value. I mean, if we start talking about things that are kind of important to the business, it's kind of how do you kind of retain that customer once they've got a sufficient amount of knowledge that they kind of do it themselves mm. is then actually how do you then build that that value in there? And, and you know, we see, we see insurance as a service and not as a product. Mm. Um, I think for most people, insurance as a product doesn't work, right? So 91% of uh, policyholders don't claim. They don't hear from their insurer. There's no value there. I mean, yes, okay, you can argue there's a peace of mind, but mm -hmm. you're paying, you're, you know, you pay a premium for that peace of mind. 
Whereas actually, I think insurance has a real opportunity to, to actually become a much more fundamental part of a, of a household and a, of a policyholder's life. And that goes, goes from, you know, uh, it goes a step beyond kind of your uh, free cinema tickets when you buy insurance through a, mm. um, a comparison website. Um, and there's regulation, you know, we touched on regulation earlier, like there's regulation that is having to, that is kind of a, a catalyst for change. So consumer duty, which is really a, a massive piece of um, regulation when you kind of look at it, which is kind of, um, as I coined, it, it's kind of knowing your customer, but on steroids, um, which right. is which is much more insurance companies having to understand that their insurance product is the right insurance product for that customer. Mm. Now, how do you do that when you don't really engage or have any kind of conversation or know your customer in any way is, is very challenging. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the incumbent insurers are, are really struggling with that because there is a lack of, tr- there's an underlying lack of trust when it comes to consumers and insurance companies. Mm. Um, uh, and so kind of looking at how you can become a bit more integrated in terms of helping that household in their everyday life and making their home life better well, actually, I think that's kind of a, a really a, a step in the right direction. And, and definitely from kind of the conversations that we've had in that insure tech insurance space, you know, I think that that is ultimately where where the sector will go. So hopefully, mm. you know, we're we're at the um, cutting edge of that with this and, and we'll see where we go. Mm. Well, I, I can tell you categorically that once you release on Android, I will be the first to download the product because I, I awesome. don't use uh, an iPhone, but yeah, because one hundred percent, this is exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing I would need. Because yeah. I've, I've I've tried all kinds of solutions, like you, you you alluded to a moment ago about the the different sort of solutions for households that are available. It's very much a, a mishmash of things. You know, you're trying calendars or spreadsheets or Miro or you know whatever you can. You know, even uh, you know uh, Google Assistant and you know Alexa and these kinds of things. They don't quite you know, none of these things really cut it. And and even if they do work individually, they are individual. They can't speak to one another. And so you're left in some ways feeling more anxious. And that's currently what I do. And it does just make me feel more anxious that I've forgotten to look at that spreadsheet or forgotten to update this. And so, you know, using all these things, yes, it works to a degree, but having one place to do all these things, I would undoubtedly use. Like uh, my, my partner and I both would. And then, yeah. and, and and also, I'm thinking as well from the perspective of passing on that information, like thinking to my son about how to run a home. You know, that's something I think about a lot. You know, about not only how to deal with the world, but how to run a home. That's why I, you know, teach him to cook and the importance of cleaning. And we all do that with our kids. Mm. But then, if you also can say, well, when you're older, you can use this app. <laughs> like, you know, that that feels a little bit uh, like nicer in some weird way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I embrace technology. I'm a technologist, so, so of course I do. But I, I feel a little bit more at ease knowing that there's going to be a solution to look after my children in that way too, you know? Absolutely. And I think look, think, look of it in, in a slightly different way, which is also if you can kind of demonstrate that you've looked after and you've maintained your home in the right way when mm. you're selling it, yeah, then... Then again, it becomes a slightly, di- you know. That's interesting. Like- so, so what you, are you saying that the, you could potentially produce some sort of like selling report, uh, a new buyer report potentially to be like, look, this is this is an app that we used. Um, yeah, I mean, that, would, that would create a good sense of virality as well, because then anyone selling would probably uh, onboard another new potential user. Exactly that. So we, mm. I mean, there's there's a property logbooks is what they're what they're kind of uh which is what they're called at the moment they are called um yeah. which is kind of 
that idea and i think we kind of looked at it and said well it's it's fine kind of having that initial dump of data you know from a property but the, the real value in the data is kind of it being real time and updated and yeah. and i think with a lot of solutions and again i'm not kind of cast casting any um dispersions here but with a lot of them that that data becomes redundant and then mm. where's the value in that um so actually it has to become part of routine and everyday life in order for that value in 5 10 15 i mean most of us are keeping i think the average time that we now spend in a pro in our homes is is 20 years before we sell them so it's right. it's a long time to keep things updated mm. um so yeah i do I, I definitely think that there's an opportunity there for us and i think it comes back to you know how do we how do we help homeowners and this isn't just about homeowners as well because i think as well there's an opportunity in terms of that education piece from renter into homeowner mm -hmm. because a lot of yeah. people kind of aspire to that how do we help to start educating people around that because if i look at it at the other end of the spectrum and i see i see some of the great work that crisis and shelter do when people don't get it right and this is sometimes it's very simply a case of something breaks down and they can't afford to pay it and then you know the, from the financial perspective it kind of snowballs into they're homeless and mm. so how do we kind of try and bring down the cost of running a home first of all but then how do we kind of protect people as well that they don't fall off the the end and, and become homeless because you know in this for for a country like england and the uk to to have the homelessness problem that we have is just it's it's ridiculous and mm. it really great you know i think it's i think it's absolutely tragic i mean i've got um as a slightly personal story there's a there's a guy called terry who's homeless near near where i live i've known him for about 10 years um and he's a, and he's a lovely guy but he you know he he's really struggled through uh, and and he used to i mean he used to work for the greek police so he's he's not a stupid guy you know he's he's intelligent you always have a conversation with him he has his own demons but that's that's aside from the point um but just kind of having that support or, or at least kind of helping helping to try and mitigate some of those factors that do cause that mm. i think is is really important um you know from all the way from kind of social housing people understanding that element of it um all the way through to kind of more you know more affluent homeowners who just you know probably um time poor when it comes to yeah. trying to trying to manage it or busy professional not, very, not yeah. very good at communicating it you know mm. it's whatever it is um so there's a, there's a real spectrum there and not to say that we're kind of trying to do or trying to be all things to all people but i think there's mm. there's definitely elements within what we're trying to do that would resonate with with different elements along the way mm. and you, you mentioned the the renting uh market there briefly like is there a version of this that you see that could be useful for landlords and and as well like in terms of obviously a, a, in a rental property the vast majority or, or at least some of the the responsibilities of the home uh maintenance fall then onto mm. the landlord so is there a, maybe a version of it that's kind of like you know for renters and for landlords and maybe could be quite useful for landlords to be able to see the track record say of you know how these new tenants were in their last property what kind of jobs that they did to keep the property up to date that kind of thing sort of thing or do you not want to get 
to pull far away from that? You want to stick with the kind of more holistic homeowner approach? Uh, I think I, I definitely think that there's a that, that there is a, a version of what we do that that would would work in the rental space. How mm. it works again? I think there's various ways to do that, and I, mm. I think sometimes with um, with the rental market being as kind of competitive it is at the moment, do you want to kind of add another competitive element in on whether somebody kind of maintain their appliances or not as to whether right. they get a property or not? Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think you're probably on a bit of a slippery slope there. That mm. said, if you're, if you're a landlord and you, you give your tenants this tool and you kind of say, well, look, you look after it because actually there's probably a benefit to me in terms of whether it extends their... Their, their, their lifetime by a couple of years or it means that I don't have to pay for a uh, emergency call out or a breakdown or a new appliance whatever it is then actually there's a benefit there so actually can landlords then use it as a way of incentivizing their tenants to look after the property better now I, again I I haven't spoken to enough landlords to know whether that's whether that would resonate and I've probably not and I've not spoken to enough tenants to know whether that's something that they'd be interested in but mm. definitely when you're you know when you're that kind of tenant that's thinking about well this yeah this I'm renting at the moment but I want to I want to own my own home at some point and kind of learning some of those skills and building that kind of knowledge and understanding at that stage is going to be beneficial to you when mm. you when you do eventually become a homeowner um and likewise i think from a landlord's perspective there's a benefit there as well um mm. so yeah I, su I suppose it's it's definitely one that we've got got within the roadmap and, and within our kind of scope of, of what we can do with the products i think initially where we are you know very much focused on kind of the, the homeowner and and that household environment but but yeah definitely one for one, one for the future for sure that's the thing though isn't it when you're uh when you're in the positions that we're in it's very easy to start seeing all different things that you can be doing right and it's it's and that's the most difficult aspect of of entrepreneurialism or, or being a founder is trying to keep you just maintaining focus uh, on the given moment and being like no yes we could do that but yeah. <laughs> let's focus on this problem first <laughs> we can tackle the other 1000 another day you know as, as well as all the other aspirations of what the like you said what your eventual goal is in life um, to, to just be patient and be like, I'll get there, we'll get there, you know, yeah. I'll have yeah. the opportunity to tackle that problem eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm as guilty as any. And I think, again, when you kind of look at, um, I suppose, when you look at like the home and property, it's just so vast in terms of the different um, avenues that you can go down. And and like we've, again, I think we, we, we've been guilty about um, probably trying to do too much Right. too early um and and which is why really this year we've very much kind of focused on how do we help people with a better way of managing the home and focus purely on that because what i think it, that's what was it looking like before then because you know because you already went through that iteration from last year to this year and then like you said this now mm. newer focus so what was it looking like at the beginning of the year uh so it was kind of um it was we initially so I suppose in terms of the process we we kind of focused initially on document capture which would then facilitate data which then led into to do's if that kind right. of make so it was very much around how do we get that folder of doom onto the app and then kind of create the story beyond that using and then again using data to kind of inform how to do that better hmm. um the challenge that like to, to, to be quite 
transparent. I think the challenge was is that, you know, one, it's getting that documentation on there. I mean, our, in an ideal world, we would have had APIs into every kind of supplier and then you can kind of just pull down the information as opposed to the expectation of somebody having to um, to upload it themselves. Mm. Um, in terms of the in terms of the upload, again, we um, we built some um, uh, proprietary uh, technology to kind of sit on top of OCR, so uh, essentially um, image recognition. So what we wanted to do was be able to pull out information from documents and then kind of use that to then personalise the experience beyond. Um, I suppose that's that <laughs> that's. Um, it sounds a lot easier than it actually is, mm. and especially when you start to go down that rabbit hole, which is, for example, with home insurance, you've probably got about 30 different suppliers with different wordings and, and different um, like definitions of things. It becomes very, very hard to do that. So you kind of then, you're working off uh, a machine learning element. You're then sort of like layering in neuro-linguistics to start to understand the language within a document um and it kind of we we went you know we went quite far with this but i think coming back to kind of the original problem which is getting people to do that getting people to actually you know take an image of it was was a challenge you know people are time poor i think people are quite skeptical around um sharing vast amounts of personal information and and despite the fact that people are have got this personal information stored in lever arch folders um and the security on your phone is a hundred times more um secure than the, than that um you know that there, there is kind of that um mentality piece to get over which again we we didn't we, we definitely did to an extent but not not in a um sufficient capacity in order to kind of make it work I suppose it's, it always comes down to this um, idea of, of, of the, the time frame between engaging with something for the first time and then receiving value, right? Mm. Whereas, you know, and, and if if I'm understanding correctly, like this version of the platform would have probably been like quite a, quite a lot of an onboarding process, essentially, before then they would have start seeing something from it. You have to, you have to feed it a lot mm. of information first until you get something from it. Whereas now, it's it's it sounds a lot more like you can just open it and immediately you know with with very little information to begin with you can start getting something so then you're incentivized to give it more which then gives you more back and is that is that a fair sort of assessment of, of, As, of that, the decision? absolutely i think yeah. i think that's a really um really fair assessment that it's um <clears throat> one you've got to kind of have the the mechanisms to make it super easy right because mm -hmm. no one's going to create that value as quickly as possible for the user yeah. and i think there were probably two of the challenges which which we had with the first version um, because, because and, everyone's got like a thousand apps on their phone right and so mm -hmm. it's just it's you know you're, you're competing not just with and this is something i think that's forgotten a lot about when it comes to app development or software development as a whole is you're not just competing with your direct competitors you're competing with everything on the market right <laughs> Because if I'm yeah. going to sit down and engage in an app, uh, it needs to offer me something that is going to make me re-engage with it. And and so if you're if you're first downloading something to have a play, having a play is like that 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 key moment, isn't it? It's like okay, I wonder what this can do. Oh, okay, it does that. Oh, okay, it does that. Whereas if it's just like oh, it's asking me to do this and it's asking me to do that, and then it's just suddenly like you're just suddenly thinking I've got a lot of work to do now. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? As opposed to this is going to help me, which it might do, but that's just not what you're thinking, right? Yeah, and I mean it's um, 
look, I've I prior to Digihome, I'd never developed an app. So right. so kind of pretty steep learning curve around this. And and again, I think, you know, made made sufficient mistakes along the way to kind of know that know how to do it better next time around. Yeah. Um but yeah, exactly that. And I think, you know, there's some of the some of the issues and some of the challenges that we that we we sought to overcome with with the next version which is kind of like how do you how do you create that value quickly um how do you you know how do you try and get that that engagement so that you know somebody's landing into your app they can they can automatically see that and they can kind of start to build that build that personalization and i think as well it's around you know it is around trying to create a personalized experience right like i think most of us these days are kind of done with generic and done with kind mm -hmm. of it doesn't really work for me in that way and i yeah. think you know having something that's um a lot more or, or more tailored to to that specific user is i think it also important when it comes to like delivering an experience that people are uh people are more inclined to put a bit more effort into along the way because it's more personalized because it's tailored to them because it kind of will develop something better for them in the long term mm. yeah absolutely sorry this is going to be really really random right just completely mm -hmm. off topic but has anyone ever told you you look a bit like um uh the actor oh god what's his name? <laughs> I, I know who you're gonna say yeah. who, who I, hold on hold on hold on i'm gonna write it down okay you write it down i'm gonna google it um I should know his name. Okay. Let's see. Let's see I, I literally saying. just remembered it as soon as I hit ender. Gary Oldman. Oh, uh, no, that wasn't who. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but there's, there is another one as well. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the other one. And I've forgotten his name too. I usually, I'm pretty good with actors' names. And I can't remember it now. Uh, this podcast is digressing very quick. This is exactly the whole point of this like, podcast. This is great, right? This is like a game of Guess Who. This is exactly what this is podcast is all about. Um, oh, where is it? I can't remember his name. Okay, well, I can't remember his name. Uh, but okay. uh, the, the the actor from Limitless. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. That's it. Yeah. Oh, that's who you have. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. Um, Bradley yeah. Cooper. There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. So you get that a lot then. Uh, I've had I've had it a few times. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, there's definitely a lot worse people that you could be called. So, um, oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, Gary Oldman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah but, but just to be clear, a young Gary, a young Oldman. one. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that, you reminded me of Gary Oldman at one point while we were talking from Fifth Element. I don't know if you remember that. Okay. Yeah, 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 a, yeah. Not, okay. not because you, because he's evil in that. Not, not because you're evil, like an evil no. genius, but more just, you know, just, just, the, just the facial expression oh. and so on. So it's a compliment because oh. he's an amazing no. actor. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> If only I could build apps as well as he acts, then I'd be onto a winner. Well, look, I mean, I'm sure he had to learn as well through the process, right? Yeah, so, you know, and, and now and, and I, now he's a master at it. So, and I think I think it's always important to remember that, right? Which that was is really sorry um, the way you brought it back to to this. By the way, yeah. I, I appreciate that. It was very good. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> not my first radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> talking, talking to lunatics is not your first. Yeah. Time. yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's like I, I think it is. I think it is really important to remember that you do make mistakes and to sometimes not be. I mean, I'm I'm my own worst critic. Right. Um, yeah. Don't be too hard on yourself. You, you, but, you've got. But to, you've also got to realize. You've got to realize that you're, you're not going to get it right all the time. Mm. And as long as you're kind of making sure that you're you're making the be best decisions for the right reasons with the right information that's all you can do um right. i mean i remember my dad telling me very early on in my life you can only do your best which is kind of like you know i mean it's 
kind of have you can be skeptical about it but it's true like as long yeah. as you're doing your best there's there's nothing else that you can do and you can't mm -hmm. kind of um you can't kind of look back and, and criticize yourself for, for making a, a, a mistake that or, or making a decision where it doesn't work out how you expected to if you've kind exactly. of gone by that by that um by those benchmarks so. there's always a couple of themes that come up in a lot of these episodes you know mm -hmm. around things like ego self-awareness um uh, not taking things too seriously not being married to your ideas you know finding balance these themes always come up inevitably in conversations mm -hmm. with founders and like and and i'm struck by by the the the, the assumed amount of self-awareness and um a, you know ability to to not be so married to your idea to be able to look at it and yes while it might hurt to say okay well this thing isn't working to to let go of that emotional emotionally and just go well we need to go this way and that's that's quite a difficult thing to do um and i, I would argue that that is ultimately the thing that separates successful founders if you know whatever that that it is yeah. but, you know successful founders from non-successful founders is because the vast majority of time you know when we hear the statistics about um startups failing i'm i'm on record of saying this numerous times that that isn't really the case startups don't fail founders give up right that's that's ultimately usually what it is like yeah there's some that 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 isn't the case you know they, they fail financially but the vast majority it's because they give up because they're faced with this sort of adversity where they've you know they've been very certain that this is the direction we should go in we do it and they're not resilient enough or not don't you know have the flexibility enough from their initial idea because they're so married to it to move into that direction to roll with the punches to take that feedback take it on the chin and keep going so that's a very yeah. admirable thing and going to serve you in very good stead moving forward you know no thank you and i think you know i i've i've learned a lot from this from this experience like mm. i i kind of reflect and go every single role that i've taken from when i first started my career I've tried to try to be a better version of myself. And I, what I would say is kind of these last two and a half years have, have been an acceleration of that to, to the nth degree, mm. because it really does put you in kind of the, the cold face of a lot of things. And you do have to, um, you know, there's nowhere else to go. You have to, you have to kind of have that honesty with yourself in terms yeah. of, um, you know, where your shortcomings are, um, and you know, I don't get me wrong. I have, I have plenty, and I think it's, you know, there's there's lots of things that I still want to improve on as I as I get older. I do think as well that you know I'm uh, I'm in my early forties now, and I've kind of I've got a I've got a different perception than the one that I had 10, 15 years ago for sure. Yeah. Um, life does that to you. Um, having a, it would be very worrying if you had the same perception. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I've got mates that probably do think exactly the same way really? as they did 15 That's years concerning. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, I won't go into any more detail than that. Just what are their names? Where do they live? Yeah, I was about to say just in, yeah. just in case I, I, I caused some issues there. X, but, X mates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but 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 equally. Um, like I had, uh, I had my 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 daughter, my first child last year. That's been an absolute thank you. Um, that's been an absolute game changer as well um, for me. Um, so you know, li life has kind of taught me, and I've tr I've tried to take those learnings into into business and vice versa as well, right? Mm. Like um, 
yes, they are different parts of my life, but you should you should still take the learnings from both and kind yeah. of use them in 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 each each environment. It's um, one of those things, isn't it? That I don't know about you, but I I often wish to myself, like, while I don't regret anything that's occurred throughout my life because of you know, well, I regret some things, but you know, but 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 in terms of who it's made me as a person, for to all the points you just made, mm. I do sometimes wish I could sort of just have a quick quick one brief word with the twenty year old version of myself to just say. Don't worry, you'll you'll get there. Like you're going to learn this stuff. It's just going to happen because of you know, essentially, like like you pointed out, it does just happen to you, right? You you do need mm -hmm. to make certain things happen, but you will learn these things as long as you're open to them and you're listening and you're paying attention. Like you will learn these things. It just takes time, you know. Yeah, I think that's. I think you, you touch on a really important thing there. It's about being open and listening, right? Right. Uh, I think. I think that's that's the absolutely critical thing there, yeah. which is, uh, uh, and again, I've seen it lots of. It touches on your point earlier. You know, not being too wedded to your idea. Um, you know, being being able to see kind of the woods through the tree, mm -hmm. through the tree. It's 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 having a slightly different perspective, and I think that's that's kind of important that you you are always taking on that kind of learning, that feedback and, and, and digesting it. And I think lots of people, I think, expect you to, I don't know, in my, in, in my experience, there's been lots of times where I, I think people expect you to, to give an instant reaction to something. And actually, mm. it's much better to kind of listen, reflect, and then answer. And I, I think that's something that I've got better at as I've got slightly older is, is feeling less um less inclined to kind of say something immediately and actually kind of just taking a bit more time to be be thoughtful about it and that's um, wisdom that, that's what wisdom gives you i mm -hmm. think you know that that ability to to because you realize it's not about wanting to please people in the moment it's about the long-term effect of what it is that you're going to say yeah. you know yes you can you can seem smart and you can seem helpful by answering immediately but actually the long-term effect of what you say is far more impactful mm -hmm. you know uh, for for the person that you're giving that advice to, or, or or saying, you know, giving giving that direction to, or whatever it might be. But also the other side of it as well, I think, is you know why I'd like to speak to my twenty something old self as well. Is because you know at that age, you know, late teenage, early twenties, you know, the, the cusp of of real adulthood, I guess. Like there's a there's a real challenge when it comes to identity, and most people have this, if not everyone has this, and identity doesn't really i don't believe start seeming clear until you're in your mid to late 30s early 40s like you know you as you become a parent as you become a homeowner as you become a business owner or you know you know confident in your in your uh, career or or education whatever it is you choose to do that's what that's what i mean by what i like i want to say to them as well like as, as well as the other things we talked about it's just like it will come don't worry mm -hmm. it will come you don't need to know exactly what you are because the truth is you never know exactly what you are <laughs> like, it's constantly changing and you need to get comfortable with that you know yeah i think i think it's a really good point like it does change right like yeah. there is so many unexpected well two uh, years ago elements. you were you were you were a business owner and a husband and now mm. you're a business owner a husband and a father and you know yeah. these things change and one day maybe a grandfather and like you know oh, so yeah. elements no. No, no, no. <laughs> no one's going to be good enough for her. No, they say. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I no, forgot. you've got a daughter, so yeah, it's never. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's not allowed. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I have pictures. I don't know. Um, it's in um, what's the film? Uh, Bad Boys Two. Oh yeah, Bad. Uh, yeah, where yeah. where, where yeah, the yeah. boyfriend turns up at the door and they literally pull out the shotgun. I can kind of, 
over the next few years, it's my goal to get a shotgun license just so I can play that yeah, that yeah, role. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or become a police officer. That's the other way to, to yeah. get replicate that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I'll probably stick with the first one to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's it, there. There is so much unexpected in life, and I think as well, you know, you have to get the most out of life. Life is too short. I mean, I know it sounds like a massive cliche, but it really is. And I think you could, you kind of have to be open to different experiences and trying different things, and um, you know, not being you know not being too too much in a rush sometimes. Like mm -hmm. I I can remember in my early career, like I was in a rush to do everything. And I think, yeah. you know, in on reflection, you know, I wish I'd stayed at companies a bit longer. I wish I'd probably tried something a little bit different. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes you can be you can be a little bit too overeager to do something. And I think that's probably, you know, you can argue that with startups as well. Yeah. Right? It's like sometimes you can just be a little bit too quick to go to market or a little bit too quick with an idea. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, sometimes spending a little bit more time and, and going out to do that is is, is maybe the, the better approach. In other times, it might not be. But but I think yeah, it's always I think that's the, the misunderstanding of a lot of people have of the literature around startups of, you know, moving fast and breaking things right i think there's a lot of a misunderstanding around that because i think there's a difference between being patient and being uh passive right there's a huge difference there being patient doesn't mean you sit around doing nothing like you said you wish maybe you spend a bit more time in a certain job or something like that the reason why jobs get boring is people aren't, aren't being proactive mm -hmm. right you need to make opportunities and it's exactly the same in business you know yes you could say move fast okay that doesn't necessarily mean build a product before anyone's given you feedback. But it does mean when you've got a product, get it in people's hands quickly. So it's like be yeah. proactive, you know, or or find out what people want quickly so you can build the product quicker, you know. So I think there's a huge difference between just being passive in life and being patient. I think you could, although it sounds something of a contradiction to be proactive and patient, I think they're very important things that you need to some, somehow find a, a, a balance between, you know. Yeah, I saw, um, weirdly, I just got it stuck in my head as, as on LinkedIn earlier, and uh, there was a post which is, um, and weird, it resonated with me because, again, it was another one of those things that my dad said to me when I was a kid, mm -hmm. which is like, there's no such word as can't. Mm. Um, and the, the post was very much like, I can't. And actually, the, the kind of re repositioning of that is, how can I? And I think mm. it's, you know, it, it, it's that position of like, to, to your point, is, you're in a job, uh, I can't get excited about this or I can't progress or I can't do that. It's like, how can I? And then kind of yeah. looking at, right, how can I do that? And I think how it's- How can I get excited about yeah, it? Yeah. How, yeah, yeah, exactly. How can um, I get motivated? Yeah. Because the responsibility um, ultimately falls on us. It falls on you as the, as the individual. It's very easy to be like, well, this I'm not enjoying this job because my boss is an asshole, because the, you know my colleagues are horrible or the, the job is boring it's like well yeah but that was your decision to work there so go and make go and make something of it you know go and yeah. make something of, of anything when you, know? when you get when you're getting into your later life and you're kind of reflecting on on all of these things and you, you know the, the fact that your boss was a was an idiot or you didn't like him or he didn't you know mm. he didn't give you that promotion when you're expecting it to it's gonna not really give you that much whereas no. you know I think it's 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 super important to to kind of go. This is my life, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I need to do in order to really you know 
live live life how I want to. Like, it's, if anything, it's, I side with those bosses now. I'm like, yeah, I actually thinking about it. I, I didn't oh, yeah. deserve that fucking promotion. I was an idiot. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it is, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. like, like a network managed people. Like for many, many years, I'm like, yeah, I was an absolute nightmare employee. Like, no surprise. I know. <laughs> like, yeah. I, know. I was gives, late all the time. Like, I was, I was answered back. Like, yeah, no, no it gives surprise. You great, <laughs> it gives you great learnings for future, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. yeah, I was that guy. Right now, what yeah. would I do differently? Right. Okay. So in the same way as having a parent like you know immediately your parents are like ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know oh yeah. not again yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, have no. you had that already from from your parents like have they been like ah see now you know what it's like <laughs> uh yeah yeah too yeah. too many times to probably yeah. um they're always they're, they've been waiting years to do that i told you so thing like that's what it is I right yeah. I, know. I really don't want to be that parent though to be fair like i think it's uh you know i think one of the things that I kind of look at now as a parent is to kind of try and instill that you, you know, make your own decisions, like mm. uh, I'll be there to support you in everything that you do, but, you know, feel confident enough to make your own decisions, whether you're 18 months old and doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing versus you're 25. You know, I think it's, I think it's kind of important to have that, that, that mindset that you're, you're willing to try stuff, uh, and 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 also that you're aware of kind of the consequences of, of doing that stuff as well. Yeah. Um, well, within reason, I think you know, an 18 month old, they need some. Oh uh, yeah, but, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not letting her play with the knives quite. I want to. I want to drive the car. All right, go ahead. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I mean, oh my goodness, I'm parenting is a whole other thing, though, isn't it? But I, I, I've said this before as well, but I, it bears repeating. Like, did, did you find, or I've asked this question, but it bears repeating. I should say. But did you, did you find that you 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 not only had sort of the, the changes you experienced almost felt like biological? They felt like neurological. That you felt like some element of your brain li literally rewire around the time that you became a father. Did you did you get a sense of that? Um. A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network. Subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments. It really helps us out. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a really thought-provoking question. Um, I, um, I don't know whether it was initially. Um, mm. so, so for context, and I'm always happy to talk about this, like my, my wife and I have tried for a long time to have kids. So mm. it was it was a five-year journey in all, or four and a half, five years. That was about um, the same. Um, about yeah, um, two rounds of IVF, ectopic mm. pregnancy. Uh, my wife, wife ended up in hospital and almost died, which was great not um through to the the amazing moment when when our daughter was born um Fantastic. and you know i mean at that moment when when she came out it was kind of like absolute like overwhelmed with emotion and then uh we go home and i think i think again kind of just because you're such you're on such a high with emotion you kind of like oh my god it's here she's here um but actually, she's so wedded to your the, the mum um, that actually she's so dependent on her. It's it's basically mm -hmm. eat, sleep, repeat, um, and and invariably kind of the only relationship that I had with her over the first few weeks was when she was crying, and I found that really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, like I think when it comes to kind of um, this particular topic i don't think guys are very good at talking about it but i've spoken to a few of my friends around this who have also had 
kids and, and it, invariably it becomes it, it's exactly the same for all of us mm. but we never talk about it and no one ever kind of goes to you oh yeah you might feel over the first few weeks a little bit redundant and yeah. you know struggle a little bit and and i definitely did and i was mm. very kind of honest about that and then i think once once you started to smile a little bit and you start to get a bit more back then then kind of the relationship changes totally and you kind mm. of go wow it's it you know there, there's something being given then um but yeah i mean i i think i've got like i've grown into it um mm. i was definitely super excited uh but fairly nervous in terms of you know what kind of parent are you going to be how is it how are you going to manage it mm. um how does it all work with um you know startup wife baby um i mean i can remember being on my laptop in in hospital at like my wife's my wife's in labor uh, and i think most most women who have been through the experience of childbirth are probably gonna berate me for this but i was on my laptop trying to get some stuff done and sent over to the dev team just because i, I knew that i literally just had a couple of hours and on reflection i just sort of just shut my laptop and forgotten about it yeah Not but really, in fairness really. in fairness to you they do go on about the labor a bit too much they, don't they? i mean like they milk it a bit you know sometimes it goes on for a few hours days like you know it doesn't yeah it doesn't really that's a bit over the top isn't it to be honest it, uh, yeah, yeah you're a very brave man you're a very brave man uh, <laughs> my wife isn't in the room so i can get yeah. I don't think she is. I can't tell I've got this bloody background on. I can't tell where she is. She might be hiding yeah. somewhere. Well, I was about but, to uh, say, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna pop out in a minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just get a punch. <laughs> yeah. In the place. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, like, I, I, I mean, now I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely course, course. love it. And um, I, I enjoy every moment with it. And, and, um, and definitely, I think it's important to kind of get, have that, that balance between making sure that you're there being able to see them develop because they go they develop so quickly mm -hmm. i mean yeah um yeah i know everyone says it but you just and until you've kind of been through that experience you, you, you just don't realize it, it. Yeah. um it like within within 24 hours so many things can change it's insane <clears throat> yeah but just yeah i mean my my during the the heat my wife and daughter went down to her parents which was on the coast which was a bit cooler than it was in london because our house doesn't really get cool mm. um and they went down for a few days they came back yesterday and she's doing she's already come back with an entirely new skill set and yeah. doing things differently and you're like that's just a few days yeah like, yeah um it's so funny because like there's a lot of similarities in our stories my wife literally went away for a couple of days to visit her parents as well in brighton um which is down <laughs> the road from us um and uh yeah and and then of course the ivf story very similar yeah. we went for a few rounds uh, we had one one success that then turned into a failure uh and and in some ways there's some there's i we had i had something of an inverse experience to you when he was born in that um he was very unwell when he was born. So he was uh, diagnosed with a heart condition um, uh, in, in utero. So we had to go to a specialist hospital in London to, to, to have him um, because they have a specialist cardiology unit. They wouldn't do it here, it wasn't safe. So there was a chance that when he came out, they were gonna rush straight to surgery and then just, just, just operate on his heart. But then it turned out when he was born, actually um, it was, there was a problem. He was going to need surgery, but it wasn't immediate. So we just have to come back in a week or two and have it um, there.
So that meant, you know, just save us the hassle, we'll come back later kind of thing. Um, you know, let us enjoy the moment, um, which was an in a whole other story. Very stressful moment. The staff there were, were awful. We were kept there for a really long time. It was just the whole thing. And of course, C-section, everything like that. So we came back and my wife is bedridden. She cannot get out of bed. She is in an extreme amount of pain um, for all sorts of reasons, which I won't get into. But basically that first week or two, then I was taking care of baby. So I was doing everything and, you know, also trying to, I've got an eight-year-old as well, trying to make sure he's okay, getting him to school and making sure Anna's okay, my wife and, you know, everything. So that was, it was kind of like, I was the primary caregiver for a short bit of time. And then of course she got better. And then suddenly now she's yeah. taken over and of course she's making up for lost time. And in fact, that's cool. You know, that did, I'm very transparent about this, it did cause a few arguments, um, mm. you know, which we obviously we sorted out and it's fine, but we, you know, then it was kind of like, uh, you know, I had to take a step back. So, okay, well, you want to make up for less time, um, lost time. So, you know, really, really, you know, taking over. And and, and that's obviously the, the important thing to do. So it's interesting. I had the inverse. I was like very, very attached and very into it. And then suddenly I was like, oh, yeah. but then I still got that that left out thing. But it was just like a two-week delay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's such a unique kind of experience, isn't it? And I yeah. mean, like, it's, um, it's so unpredictable. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. um, I mean, birthing plans. I mean, what's a, what is the point in that? I mean, that is yeah. like a startup, right? It's like yeah. don't even don't <laughs> yeah, even bother. Yeah. That's a really good comparison to make. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If ever um, I speak to anyone about a startup and they want to know what it's like, I know if you've ever had kids and you ever had a birthing plan, that's what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, just 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 forget about it. Um, but yeah, no, like it's 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 a great experience and. Um, I, yeah, I love every minute of it. I really do. Mm. Um, it's interesting you mentioned like your other friends. Uh, you know, I, my my brother went through that years ago when he had his first child too, and I didn't really understand what he was talking about then. But it's definitely something that that men don't talk about anywhere. We don't talk about anything really nearly yes. nearly as much as we should do. Um, but you know, it's it's on both sides. You know, in terms of becoming a new parent, the 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 the, the, the difficulties you go through that just aren't discussed like it's always you know the main things are talked about yes it's going to take all your time you're not going to sleep at night but the the well-being side of it the emotional toll um, and so on that it has the friction it can cause in a relationship all of that sort of stuff isn't you're not prepped for you're not taught you know it's not discussed no and i think it's you know uh if, if it's kind of probably one word that that you you try and look at or, or you would say to, to any kind of prospective parent for the first time it's communicate right like yeah, yeah it's yeah. And it is, I know it's it's so easy to to kind of forget that, especially when you haven't had sleep and like exactly. I mean I mean sleep depression is just like it's a killer for anything. Mm. Um but it is important to to communicate because you mm. you know you 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 both want to be on the same page. Um and you both need to know where each other are. Like it's yeah. it's not easy. Uh, I think kind of sometimes it's it you forget how hard it is um but yeah definitely like the communication piece and and again like we me and my wife you know we had moments where we were really good at communicating um and then other times we were just i think we were just both so exhausted that we were just rubbish at it and it kind of compounded the whole problem it's like mm. you didn't tell me this it's like shut up like i'm going yeah. to bed um so yeah i mean mm. like it's 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 definitely like one of those um uh life experiences that you kind of learn from um mm. and, uh, and again i mean you, you i mean you obviously you, you've had two now so um mm. uh would you, would you what, what did you take from the first one into the second one or was it kind of 
Well, actually, it's I mean, without going because it, you know this this podcast isn't about me, but um, without going too yeah. much into detail, I was um, I was unfortunate with the first time around with my son Archie and that I didn't get to experience any of that with him. Um, so it's a very long story. But I, he okay. moved in with us when he was four after okay. a long legal battle with his, with his mother. Right. Um, we had separated before he was born, and I didn't really wow. get to experience any of that for four years. Yeah. So and, and, okay. and and then obviously the legal battle tells you everything you need to know the fact that he moved in here um yeah, but uh but yeah so, so yeah. it was interesting I, I i inherited a four-year-old which in itself is what well, we inherited a four-year-old because we got married yeah. moved into our home and a few months later he moved in and you know for a couple that's been together we were together what four years five years by that point um you know newlyweds new home and then suddenly we have a four-year-old it's it's very yeah. interesting and that that had a whole set of other challenges that you know, I think in retrospect, obviously, like anything, you learn from and it's very mm. useful. And that's going to set us up for when our current, <laughs> our, our newborn is going to be a bit older for sure. But yeah. it also, it also, if anything, has made us very appreciative, even more aware of what you do in the early days and how it affects the outcomes of a child later on. Because there were a lot yeah. of things that you picked up in those first four years, three, four years, which we've been combating ever since, right? Yeah. Like, behaviors that, that that aren't desirable and so on it was like a, like adopting essentially yeah i can imagine you know? and i mean that's I, I think as well like you say the those early formative years are just so important in yeah. terms of they're just sponges right i mean yeah. they pick they pick up on absolutely everything yeah. um and, like, and even just something like atmosphere you know yeah. Like so, so, so there's a, a tendency already in human beings to be more disposed to negativity, right? But if you're raised in a negative environment, like he was, and I'm not not making any, I don't care if she watches this, like it's a fact, right? Then you're going to be more likely to be predisposed to that that sort of way of thinking, and that's very evident, or at least it was. He's he's definitely a lot better now. He's eight um, to to that way of thinking. Um, so and it, yeah, and it, that's exactly right. And it's just like you know when you've got when you when you're hyper aware of that around a newborn, you're trying to just the way you talk with one another. You're being very careful. You've got you've got to bear that in mind. There are little ears listening. Yeah, they may not be able to fully understand language, but they can get cadence. You know, they yeah. can pick up on on oh. on these things. You know, um, and that's incredibly important. You know, are you saying hello to each other? Are you giving each other a kiss? Are you affectionate with one another? Like that's all going in. All yeah. of it. You know. Yeah, and I, I, you know, again, like we we've talked about, kind of the personal life and business life, and again, you know, those those kind of elements when when you're kind of as part of a company, and I mean, I've, you yeah. know, thinking about uh, what we what we've done in previous businesses and and COVID and like how you're trying, you know, how we kind of try to to, to navigate kind of creating that mm. office environment when no one was in the office was was right. really kind of um, and we tried loads of things like i can remember us kind of trying different games and doing like friday afternoons where we'd finish at half three and have like a company call and stuff like this and you know it was it was really a case of kind of trying to to learn how to keep the the, the teams engaged and, mm. and make sure that they were supported and um you know just keep that communication very open but yeah. you know if somebody wasn't feeling well or not in a good space because again it wasn't just about the individual it's potentially about the family and you know not seeing loved well, ones and because in, in the office you've got a certain <laughs> level of control over the way that environment is to a degree but at home you know if people are working from home you've got you have no idea what's going on there no idea whatsoever and that that, that that's really difficult to manage isn't it with a, with a remote workforce it was and it was i think it, you know i mean lots of 
many many businesses kind of experience this and mm. and i think it's um you know i think i think sometimes it was easy to kind of default and go well you know it's not too bad for me so it's the same for everyone else and then yeah. you, you again you kind of have to take yourself away from that kind of viewpoint and go actually no it was um you know it's, it's somebody living on their own who doesn't get to see people who's mm. then kind of trying to trying to then combat that as long as what as well as work um so there was lots of different challenges which i think you know you have to you have to kind of face along the way but it was very it was um yeah it was an interesting time and, and i well, think again it kind of really highlighted kind of culture and and those things which are i think mm. you know when you when you start to think about how you how you want your startup to grow and to build that team out that become really important in terms of the the environment and the culture that you let to create yeah and is that like um this morning i had a i recorded another episode of this and um one of the first things we talked about was the fact that he that, that my guest was just working remotely from italy for a month and you know we're talking about how privileged we are to be working in startups mm -hmm. where you can do that when the vast majority of the workforce does not have that privilege they have to be where they have to be for work you know whether it's you know keeping the infrastructure of the the country going delivering shopping working in shops all that sort of stuff we're very mm -hmm. we shouldn't forget that but then of course you know as an additional layer to that like you've pointed out even within startup world there are people who cannot stand working from home like the office yeah. is there it's their is their um their refuge like it's their way of getting away from the home or just being able to find a place to concentrate at home is not possible like you said yeah. they could be living a single bed apartment like you know i know people during covid that absolutely couldn't stand it they couldn't focus because they, they they literally were living like a shared house with loads of other people there was no common area they'd have to work mm. on their bed like you know that's not conducive to a productive environment for them they were going mad you know and not being yeah. able to speak with like their colleagues on a quick break on a you know, cigarette break and just you know shoot the shit and just you know have a laugh to to, to depressurize after a shitty call or something like you know th these are really important things to certain people it, it's it's you know we shouldn't take that for granted at all you know no and i think it's like i think as founders it can be really isolating right like mm. uh, whether whether you're a, a solo founder whether you're a co-founder like you, you spend an inordinate amount of time on it um you kind of have to make compromises um and and, and i think it is definitely like one of the reflections especially in the early days that i took was actually i probably was a bit too introvert like i i, I kind mm. of just solely focused on it it was kind of my my entire life for a bit and and actually that was wrong like your your friends your family that kind of support network is is really important to you as part of actually growing and developing um the business uh, and mm. i think kind of cutting yourself off from that is is sometimes to the detriment of the business uh, whether you kind of think that way or not um and yeah, likewise, I, I, think, yeah. I, I think as well when it comes to you know asking people for help actually there, there's one of the things that i've been i suppose slightly surprised by in a, in a good way is just actually the amount of kind of help that is out there for mm. founders right uh, until you're a founder you don't necessarily have that um the doorway opened to you um in quite the same way but yeah you know there's lots of kind of resources and lots of people that are always kind of willing to help or to offer advice or um and i think that's you know there's there's a there's an amazing feel in terms of kind of the founder networks mm. within the uk that um you know 
should be encouraged and, and should be kind of promoted even more because I think there's a there's a lot of value and a lot of benefit to it. Yeah, and speaking to other founders, like you said, I mean, it's just number one. If you if you're about to go into it, speak, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, founder, whatever you want to call it, or whatever it is you're doing, just speak to other people that have been there. And, and it's amazing how generous people can be with their time. Like I think the assumption is that you know founders, well, you know, if I ask them for you know a coffee or whatever, they just they're too busy, they're going to say no. But you know, the truth is, you know, everyone's favorite subject is themselves. And if you ask them to, to, <laughs> to ask, you know, tell me about your story, like we are today to a degree, yeah. you know, it's it's like, you know, this is why I love doing what I do, not only because I'm infinitely fascinated by you and by people in general like you. And so I could listen to people like you and you talk all day about yourself and what you've been doing, because I find it so fascinating and educational and so on. But I know other people feel the same way. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's, it's incredibly useful. And hopefully we're getting this out there to other people to, to again not feel as alone so if they're listening to this right now mm. they're listening like oh, okay someone else has been through this journey even for me right now this has offered me a, a certain level of comfort beyond even just the founder journey but even the personal one you're talking about ivf and and you know what it's been like being a father so like all of these things you know we're all human beings we need to connect in whatever way we can right yeah i mean it shouldn't it shouldn't definitely it definitely shouldn't be siloed and i think just just kind of on the on the founder thing as well like it is a very unique journey Mm. um which you know we've kind of we've kind of touched on today but and actually the be the people that are best positioned to kind of offer advice and help and guidance are people that are either doing it or have done it um mm. and that's not to say that kind of your friends and your family aren't, aren't don't, don't have a part to play but equally it's kind of hard to to explain sometimes some of the things that you're doing or yeah. um, some of the challenges that you're facing. And I think, again, it's, you know, it's important to, to have those conversations as opposed to kind of bottling it up inside. And I think, you know, that's that's kind of important that, uh, you know, people out there feel as though there are ways and spaces and people and, and things to to kind of offer that 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 um, that communication or that that kind of way of talking about it. Mm. And that's exactly why I offer the pro bono sessions that I do for people. Exactly why, yeah. because it's because it's just there are so many people out there paralysed by some of the absolute basics, but because there are just so many potential avenues people can go down, especially in the early stages, it's like I can go there, I can go there, I can go there. You just sometimes need someone to go, no, focus on this, keep it simple, worry about that later. You know, yeah. do what do what has high value, do what's going to start generating revenue or traction or whatever. Just keep it focused. You know. And I think it, I think it's really admirable, Rick, because actually there's there's so many people that also look at the kind of founders and startup space and go, oh, there's a great way that we can monetize this, and it's right. always like it's yeah. right, it's it, there's always a cost to something, and I think that's mm. kind of again, you know, coming back to kind of some of the, the founder stuff there, there's you know, there's it, definitely a lot of things there as well. Oh, like, so much, so much so, and I think you know sometimes it's just like you say it's it's an hour on a call with you that kind of just helps to clarify something and you know everyone in startups generally uh if you're doing it for the first time you're probably doing it on a pretty limited budget with with kind of you know you're, you're looking exactly. at your, your cash flow your runways yeah. um and that could be it could be a real changer for someone just to have mm -hmm. that kind of um that, that knowledge that insight and and a, a little bit of guidance along the way so you know mm -hmm. i think it's really admirable what you do and i think it's really important that that there's that you know those kind of resources available to people to be able to to, to, to kind of help them on their journeys and and look for, for, for full transparency's sake it's not entirely selfless right i mean i, yeah. I, no, I mean I, yeah, I, yeah. 
you know, because if I know that, you know, if uh, plenty of people have said to me over over the years, well, since offering this 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 pro bono stuff, which which by the way I came to as a realization for exact reasons you just said, I was seeing too many predatory sort of um, activities going on in the in the community, and I just I don't want to be a part of this anymore because I was charging for consultation, you know, initial mm -hmm. consultation, discovery, and all that. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. But you know, yeah, for the full transparency's sake, obviously, it, you know, it means that a lot of these people I speak to, they say, okay, brilliant, I'm not in the position to hire you right now, but definitely when I am. You know, I would want to. I want to, you know, use you more regularly. Of course, that's going to be a side effect mm -hmm. of it, but but that isn't the expectation going in because, you know, it has to be. If if you're not leading purely with empathy and with the desire to want to help initially, then then what's the point? You know, I, it, 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 there's just no point me doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to be valid, and it will come through anyway as well. I think. You know? So it's just. Yeah, I, mean, that's my philosophy. I don't know if it's the right philosophy. I've been told by plenty of people it isn't the right philosophy. If I want to build a, a business based on on that and all that, so I, I don't care. I'm, I can pay the bills and I'm I'm helping people. That's more fun. I can sleep. Yeah. At night, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like it's it's about being authentic, right? Right. Like you be be true to yourself. What like whatever whatever anyone says to you, just be true to yourself because yeah. it's a hell of a lot easier than being fake. That's exactly and, like I said um, when I mentioned the Gary Olden thing. Like that's what this show is about. It's just fuck yeah. it. This is who we are. This is who I am. This is who yeah. you are. And I think that's refreshing in this day and age. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, and and I think as well, like just just to kind of. Um, touch on what you said though it's, it's also when when there's kind of no expectation i.e there's a transaction between you pay me x mm. i think i think that there's a lot more openness to the kind of conversation and the suggestions that are going to be made right as opposed to somebody going oh yeah i'm going to pay you, i have to pay you x in order to get y and yeah. it's kind of like well what's then y whereas actually you know i think with any with anyone uh, a kind of a, a conversation is always a much more uh, valuable um, kind of mechanism as opposed mm. to a meeting, if that is yeah, sort of yeah, kind yeah. of way of explaining it. But yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, it, yeah. The, it, if you if you remove the transactional nature out of a, yeah, an interaction, yeah. then it can just become a little bit more open. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, a bit uh, again going back to the, to this entire podcast. That's kind of the, why I, I removed the. Uh, you know, I did initially think very much about the interview sort of format, which to, to a degree, there's an element of that, right? I'm asking you questions and so on. But then, of mm -hmm. course, you know, for me, the most uh, important part of this is it's just more conversational because removing that that structure of me, which in some ways can be a limiting thing, um, allows for things to be a bit more free flowing and authentic, I think. On that note, though, I do have another question, <laughs> which is, which is, but, but again, it's just I'm being curious. But, um, but you know, to, going back to what you're saying about remote and so on, do you see the, mm -hmm. the company? Um, that you're building going to a remote model or, or going into an office like, because you obviously haven't had experience in both then you can probably make some hopefully pretty formal decisions about what's going to be best for the company moving forward right yeah so i, I mean i in an ideal world it would be a mixture and i think that's right. i think that's definitely how i the world has changed right so i think until mm -hmm. three four years ago people when you talked about remote it wasn't kind of mainstream uh, mm. I think we're kind of seeing this this kind of slight uh, resistance to to fully remote now, and definitely some of the, the the bigger companies are kind of being a bit more forceful in terms of bringing people back to the office. But I do see the value in terms of people being in an office, like that social element and kind of um, the benefit in terms of just having those conversations that you otherwise don't have. And let's be honest here. Um, 
doing it doing it remotely or by virtual meeting just isn't the same as meeting in person that that, mm. that, that that that's for sure so i think it's i think it's a mix i mean but i but i also think there's you know it's around it's around the individual and it's around flexibility um yeah. and i think you know in very simplistic terms if they're getting the job done then they're happy to work from home and there's kind of no real detriment to the business in terms of that happening then i've got no i'm not going to kind of prescribe to someone that they need to be in an office two three days a week if, if that's not what they need to do i mean mm. definitely kind of with with developers and we've you know we've we're we're on our second dev agency now um i've never met them uh yeah. and it kind of yeah it kind of works because that's you know that dev dev works in that way that said would i like it to be in person occasionally yeah because i think when you can kind of talk about products with your development team in a room sometimes things come out that otherwise wouldn't do mm. um but yeah i think i think a mix ultimately i mean i've i've uh i've got both positive and negative experiences around working from remotely yeah. um I love the fact that I can have lunch with my daughter and do things on on a whim. Um, I also miss being in a kind of social environment that the office brings. Um, mm. So, so there are benefits to both. Um, I think probably most people would agree with that yeah. to, to, to some extent. And I think ultimately, for the vast majority or for for, for mainstream, you'll kind of see that um, uh, part office, part remote. Um, yeah, the, the hybrid of, model, I think, yeah. is definitely going to become the the, the the industry standard over time if it's not already. Yeah, yeah. well, look, I mean, uh, there's so many things I didn't get a chance to ask you about. Um, <laughs> so that means that we're going to have to do another one at some point. Part after, two. Part two, damn right. Yeah, um, yeah these two hours always fly by. Um, but uh, one last thing then before we go, the very last bit of structure I have in this whole thing is I just like, and, and look, the whole podcast has been full of this to a degree, but but I'm going to very directly ask you, you know, to any entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs, founders listening and wherever they are in their journey, what would you impart as maybe some words of wisdom, some tips, some some key learnings that you would maybe want to, to pass on? And I know we've, we've we've peppered that throughout, but yeah. you know, maybe something you haven't, haven't mentioned yet. Um, I don't know whether the kind of any specific learnings because I think ultimately people you, you know you learn you learn along the way in your own way uh, and everyone's different um I think maybe maybe kind of a bit of advice to someone who's thinking about becoming a founder which is do it um for all like the, the one thing that I can always remember myself saying at the very beginning was like just regret nothing like the fact mm. you, do, you don't want to get to the end of your life and go oh, I wish I'd just tried that or I had that idea and I wish I'd like you're never going to reflect negatively on that um mm. and I think life is life is I've said it before life is short but it's kind of like make make your own decisions and make your own way and uh, and I don't think you will ever regret trying or trying to to you know start a business and uh, and be entrepreneurial i think always look at it in terms of what can you learn um and i think if you kind of look at it in that way then then you're always going to learn and you're always going to get a benefit out of it whether the business is successful or not mm -hmm. um i mean that's definitely kind of my approach which is you know irrespective of what happens i'm going to have you know, I've had a great experience and I've learned a hell of a lot. And I think, you know, that's all that you can you can kind of ask for. So, yeah, probably mm. not not any kind of 
infinite wisdom there but i do think no i would know, argue that um, is infinitely wise like yeah because if, especially when you know the latter part that you mentioned about expectations of what you're going to get out of something when you go into it i think some a lot of the time that's misaligned right yeah. the expectation is doing this will mean it will bring me wealth and power or success or whatever you know success looks like well when as long as the expectation is just learning then that can come but it, you know that's got to be the priority right in the same way that you've got to have a an altruistic priority in helping people as opposed to expecting something in return um it's the same sort of thing right knowledge is your currency yeah i mean like there's there's so many pressures that get put on you as kind of a, a founder and starting a business you don't need to kind of uh compound those with your own of oh yeah it's going to make a million pounds in the right. first year or whatever mm. you know don't, well, don't targets come later right they, yeah, they do I they mean, do come later <laughs> investors whoever else will put all of that on you oh, but yeah. i think you know just make sure that you you give yourself time to enjoy it give yourself time to learn mm. uh because it's you know you you need to have those elements in it in order for it to be successful i'm sure uh, and i you know i don't classify myself as a successful startup or founder yet um but i think those that have been successful and, and potentially exited will say that you know you've got to enjoy it you've got to love it you've got to you know um learn and adapt and all of these things but you know just make sure that you're enjoying parts of it as well because it's it's, it's super important in terms of just embedding yourself into, into the whole way of life Mm. yeah no great advice great advice uh, yeah money feeds the banks knowledge feel, feeds the soul right so um so yeah damn right damn right yeah well look thank you so much awesome. man. i'll let you go we've got we've reached the time but uh, it's been really great no. speaking with you and yeah i really appreciate you so, talking about all this very candidly and, and openly it's uh it's what what we do so um yeah like i said definitely have to get you on again at some point i'm really time. i'm going to be following along as soon as you get the android release <laughs> hit me up i will be downloading oh, that immediately as long as it's re reasonably priced uh, also because uh, i am tight uh but <laughs> <laughs> don't worry yeah, you... cool. <laughs> awesome greg thanks very much uh really appreciate it and yeah My look pleasure. forward to part two likewise all right take all care right. have a you great week see. yeah bye. you too see you later cheers bye thank you for watching and or listening please like subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below